Welcome to the Cornerstone Corner, our weekly message podcast. At Cornerstone, we are enthusiastic about all ages, having an authentic relationship with Jesus, others, and our community. Join us as we open the Bible and hear God's Word for us today. Tigers, bring it in. Let's go. Let's go, guys. All right, Tigers. Let's get ready to play, huh? I don't want to see any laziness there, okay? We win this, we're in the finals. We get a big lead, we got to pummel these guys. We got to pummel them at all costs. Dominate and hammer them. I want you to play dirty if you have to, but don't get caught. Young son, stay low, okay? That's easy for you. Just chop block them in the back of the knee. That'll work well. Ambrose, you're big. Don't be afraid to throw the elbow. If you break someone's collarbone, that's a good thing. That's what the medic's for. Otherwise, he's just sitting around, all right? You hear me? I only want winners out on the field. Who's a winner? I said, who's a winner? Everyone's hand should be up. Okay, everyone bring it in. Who are we? Tigers. What? Tigers. All right, let's break someone's clavicle on three. One, two, three, break someone's clavicle. Hit the field. Let's go. Tigers, bring it in. Let's go. That's it. That's it. That's that's the same thing. Does anyone else just get flashbacks from Little League? Just me. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I told my wife, uh, just wait a few more years. That's going to be me coaching our son, Kyler. Uh, No, I'm kidding. I'm a pastor now. I have to learn to control my competitive side. You might see it a little bit at the church picnic in the Cornhole Tournament, but uh, I'll contain it somewhat. Uh, But the reality is, maybe in a less extreme level than what Will Farrell just showed us there, it's very easy for us all to get caught up in me, 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 me. How do I get to where I want to get to? How do I climb where I want to climb? How do I win what I want to win? And maybe we're not going to break some clavicles, but it's easy to fall into that trap. And so we are in this series for the past month or so. We've been talking uh, in the series called Wired, Living Who I'm Designed to Be. And we've been kind of diving into uh, how we're all wired. We've been talking about some, some attributes that we get from God, spiritual gifts, what we call them. And we've been talking about kind of how we are all designed by God. And we all can, I hopefully, we all can hopefully agree that none of us are wired. None of us are designed to tell a group of 11-year-olds to go break the clavicles of another group of 11-year-olds, right? Right? <laughs> but it is easy to get tunnel vision, to get so caught up in where we're trying to go that we don't care at all about what's going on around us. We, we just look, we have a goal in mind, we have a game we want to win, we have a, a position we want to get, and we just focus in on that, and we don't care what else is going on around us. We don't care who we have to pull down in order to get to where we want to get to. And I come from uh, the sports world. I had the chance to play college basketball. I have the chance to, to help coach uh, college basketball now. And phrases like, no mercy, step on their throats, kick them while they're down, figuratively speaking, of course, uh, were phrases that I not only heard, but I said. And I'm a pastor, and I said those things. Or I I had the chance to work in kind of the corporate business world for a little bit. And if I'm being completely honest, which I'm going to try to be as honest as possible, if I'm being completely honest, very early on into this working in this business world, this competitive, fast-paced world, I felt pressure internally from myself to climb the ladder, the corporate ladder, to chase that promotion, to chase that title, to pursue that pay raise, right? 
And I didn't care who I was going to have to pull down out of my way. I was going to climb that ladder to get to the next spot. And whether we're trying to win a soccer game or whether we're trying to get a raise or whether we're just trying to get home in under 10 minutes and someone just pulled out in front of us and is driving five miles an hour under the speed limit, (laughs) we can get so caught up in trying to get to where we want to get to and go where we want to go and do what we want to do that we stop viewing people as people and we start viewing people as obstacles. And uh, if, I already said if I'm being honest, I'm going to be honest all the time. Um, Let's just say that. Uh, I know a lot of you haven't heard me speak before, and so I just want to put something out here right away. I am not the smartest person in the world. My wife just said amen. (laughs) I'm not even the smartest person in this room, but I know two things when it comes to viewing people as obstacles. One, if we're trying to be relational, whether you're an introvert and you need to be relational with just a couple people and keep your circle small, or whether you're an extreme extrovert and you just love meeting people and you want to meet as many people as possible and just talk and talk and talk, I know that an effective way to be relational is not to view people as obstacles. In fact, viewing people as obstacles could actually be detrimental if you're trying to build relationships with people. And here at Cornerstone, relationship is at our core. So it's hard to say that if we're viewing the very people we're trying to have relationship with as obstacles. And the second thing is, is uh, now I've, I've read this, this collection of books uh, called the Bible a few times, but even when I was first starting out and I didn't even know what I was reading, there was a theme that kept happening over and over and over again. And time after time after time, whether I was just starting out or even as I read today, there's something that continues to happen. And over and over again, we see what people view as obstacles, God so often sees as opportunity. Where people see obstacles, God sees opportunities. And I noticed uh, whether it's a physical obstacle stopping you from getting to where you want to go. I think of uh, this guy named Moses and, and the Israelite people who were escaping slavery in Egypt. And as they were running away, there was this giant body of water that was stopping them from getting from where they were to where they needed to go to be free. And God saw that obstacle and viewed it as an opportunity to show his power and his faithfulness by parting the seas and getting them to freedom. Or I think of time and time again, uh, when Jesus was walking this earth, people could be viewed as obstacles in his life, but he so often saw that as an opportunity. And I think of a time in Jesus's life when he was actually with his disciples, his group of friends, they were traveling to this guy named Jairus's house. And Jairus was leading him to his house because his daughter was sick and dying. So it wasn't like they were just on their way to Chick-fil-A for lunch. They were going to save this girl's life. And Jesus had been working miracles and healing. And so there were always these crowds around him of people trying to get his attention. And as they're on their way to save this little girl's life, there's this woman who had been bleeding for seven years that crawls up to Jesus just to grab his cloak. And she's healed from the bleeding from seven years. And what could be viewed as an obstacle, something stopping Jesus from getting to where he's going, he takes as an opportunity. And he, and he searches for this, this woman and says, who touched me? And he tells this woman what healed her. He says, your faith is what healed you. Jesus took that obstacle and viewed it as an opportunity to show this woman that it was her faith. And even a step further, and this story isn't actually even the main story that we're going to be talking about today, but I just like it. This story, so when Jesus arrives at Jairus' house, this, the little girl, the daughter of Jairus, is pronounced dead. But when Jesus walks away from that house, the little girl is alive and well, an obstacle that Jesus takes as an opportunity. And I think that that's important for us to recognize, obstacles and opportunities. 
God's tendency to view obstacles as opportunities as we head into today's topic. Um, but before we do that, I'm going to pray really quickly, and then we'll dive into today's, today's topic. So if you would please bow your heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we just thank you so much for giving us this, this day, giving us this morning to come together to sing songs, uh, to watch Will Ferrell, and uh, to hopefully grow a little closer to each other and to you. God, I pray that you open up our hearts, open up our minds, uh, so that we can receive what it is you want us to see, and that when we walk out these doors, you open our eyes to see the world the way that you want us to see it. God, I pray that these are your words, not mine, and this is your message that is reaching each and every heart in this room. It's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we've been talking about wired living, who I'm designed to be, and today our topic is going to be that we all are wired for mercy. Everyone say, wired for mercy. Good job. You, I, I like to have a I don't like talking to people. I like talking with people. Um, that was good. Good job. Wired for mercy. And we're going to be talking about the spiritual gift of mercy. And uh, when I think of mercy, I started researching a little bit of what exactly, what, what is mercy? Um, I've heard it a lot, but I don't really know exactly what it is. And so I started researching it a little bit, and I went on Google, uh, which is about as far as I can research sometimes, and I, I discovered that we are actually all designed to be merciful. We're all designed. We have an area in our brain called the anterior insular cortex. Everyone say anterior insular cortex. <laughs> Just but you can take that and show it off to your friends. You learn something new. There's, a, there's an area in our brain that actually controls the compassion and empathy that we feel, and it's this thing that triggers us to then motivates us to action. This, this anterior insular cortex feels these feelings. It's, it's, that, it's that, the part of our brain that's triggered when we see that sad dog commercial that says, like, for a cup of coffee a day, you can feed this, this family of dogs or something like that, and we just get emotional. We want to call pick up the phone. Or, or we're watching a movie uh, like, like Karate Kid or, or like Hoosiers, and we're cheering, and the underdog is like, oh, we, we want the underdog to win, right? Because we have this, this thing, this trigger in our brain, the anterior insular cortex that's wired each and every one of us to feel this kind of mercy. And so when I think of what that actually is, what is mercy, I'm, I think of, one, uh, playing Little League Baseball, the mercy rule. Anyone know what that is? It's when a team is beating another team so bad that you're just like, we're going to call this a game because we can't take any more. Or I think of, uh, I was working as a camp counselor one summer uh, for, for a summer camp, and we would play paintball. Paintball was one of the games, and with middle school boys, playing paintball is a treat, I tell you what. But there was this rule that the, the campsite had, and uh, what, what it was is if you got so close to an opponent, if you were to sneak behind them and be very close to them, within about a few feet of them, you had to give them a chance of what they called mercy. And so you had to yell mercy so that you wouldn't then give a giant welt in their back from like three inches away. And so like you'd sneak up, and then you'd yell mercy, and if they put their hands up, you just walk them to, to the jail, and they would be out. But you, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was mercy. Or when I think of mercy, I think of this time when I was playing uh, Kick the Can. Anyone play Kick the Can in here growing up in the neighborhood? As when I was growing up, we would play Kick the Can. I don't know if this is actually how you play. I've explained this story before, and people are like, that's not how you play Kick the Can. This is how we played in the neighborhood that I grew up in. And we were playing Kick the Can, and the way we would play is there was this uh, cone that we would call the can, and it would be set up in the middle of like these, a couple yards. And then there would be one person that was it that was trying to tag people, and everyone else would go hide. And then the goal was then for someone to go run and kick the can. And once someone kicked the can, everyone yelled, kick the can. And once you hear that, you have to run to base without getting tagged. And if you get tagged, you lose and you're it the next time. And so I was hiding 
uh, with, with one of my neighbor friends. Her name was Casey. And we were hiding kind of behind these bushes. And uh, the can was out there. And we have both decided we're just going to hide. We're not going to try to kick the can. We're going to try to hide and get to base. Because the person that was it was like four years older than us, a lot faster than us, and had no problem pushing us over instead of just tagging us. And so uh, we decided we're just going to hide behind this bush. When we hear kick the can, we're going to get up and we're going to run. And so we're hiding there, we're hiding there, we're hiding there, we're quiet. And you know, if you've ever played neighborhood games growing up as a kid, you know the silence of just trying to hear the person that is it. And so we're sitting there behind this bush, and all we hear, and it's faint distant, it probably wasn't that far, but it felt like it was miles and miles away, and we hear, kick the can! We look at each other, like, okay, it's go time. We gotta go, we gotta go. Because if no one, this is the other thing, if no one gets tagged and you're the last person to the base, then you, you lose, you're it. And so we knew we had to get there, we had to get there without getting tagged. And so we're getting ready, we kind of peek our head around the bushes, and we see one yard over, heading in our direction, was the guy that was four years older than us, who was really ready to push us over instead of just tag us, who was it. So we get up and we start running, and there's something that I left out at the beginning that you should know about me. When I was younger, uh, I was about half the size that I am now, but my head was about twice as big. My dad actually called me a bobblehead growing up. Um, didn't get it until I was older. But um, so we started running, me and my friend Casey. And I was pretty fast. Um, I mean, with the, the head, you just get it going. The inertia, you just start, you start rolling. But I was pretty fast at running in a straight line. And so I started taking off. And Casey's kind of trailing behind me. But she's still going. She's still going. And we see, we hear the footsteps of the guy coming after us. Somehow there's footsteps, even though we're running in grass. And the problem is, is there was a hose out in the neighbor's yard. And I step on the hose. And what for a normal kid would just be a little bit of a stumble, and then they keep going. For me, with my giant head, it was a little bit of a stumble, and then my weight just took me right down, smack to the ground, face covered in dirt and grass. It just, the, the taste of defeat tasted a lot like dirt and grass, if I'm being honest. And I thought it was over. I see Casey bolt right by me, and I hear the footsteps getting louder and louder. I feel the vibration of his footsteps. And then out of nowhere, as I'm looking back at the guy, I feel uh, someone tugging me. Ryan, come on, come on. Casey had turned around and saw that I had fallen over. She turned around, risked her own life to then pick me up and get me going. <laughs> and we made it to base safely. And when I think of mercy, that story often comes to mind. Mercy is having the choice to either hurt someone or help someone and choosing to help them. See, it's having the choice to either hurt or sometimes just ignore someone or help them. Mercy is choosing to help them. And throughout this series, we've been taking some time to, to hear from some people in the church that kind of uh, uh, represent or are very good at or exude the spiritual gift that we're talking about. And so we have two people that uh, were actually a part of a video talking about mercy. And if you know them at all, you know that they are merciful people. And so if you would, please, let's take a look at the screen and uh, watch this video. I don't know about you, but I've been affirmed over and over again by trusted people that I feel deeply. I don't know about mercy, but mercy comes really, really easy to me from the standpoint it's born out of great pain and heartache. The prayer was about um, feeling God's heart and his hurt, even like feeling um, hurting my heart for what hurts his. 
was where my heart was at the time. And uh, that really took it to another perspective because before that I thought it was just being good, as good as you could be and trying to be as good as you can be to people, you know, around you. But um, I discovered that it's so much more than that. And it's so cool that God uses me to encourage my brothers and sisters in what they're going through and that I get to sit with them and say prayers and hold hands and rejoice and be joyful. It's a wonderful thing just to know that God has used me in this way. The joys and the best parts of having mercy is um, you get to love on people and uh, you get to just pour your heart out um, and really uh, taking it to God before you do that. I, making sure that it's God's heart um, first. And so um, just trying to walk in the spirit and trying to know that it comes from God. It's not really about me or how great I am or, you know, whatever. Um, it's more about God's heart. Um, the pitfalls, it's really hard for me if I'm not disciplined and taking good care of me. I can be a lot <laughs> to people. I can be obnoxious. I can be loud. I can be that clinging gong. But if I take really good care of me and I pray seeking after the Father and I'm in his word and I'm serving my brothers and sisters and clients and those in my path the best way I know how, is that, again, just to be used by God is just incredible gifting. Uh, getting taken advantage of. <laughs> I say yes to just about everything. And my friends and my family are always talking about that, how um, I, I say yes before I think about it or even check my schedule sometimes. <laughs> and so um, that can get me into trouble because I want to, I, I want it. Like I, it's immediate, yes, I want to, my heart wants to. Um, and sometimes I think I can get overwhelmed and um, I say yes to too much without checking myself about how human I am. <laughs> and uh, so that can be, it can be overwhelming sometimes and um, I have to be careful. Can we give a big round of applause for those two wonderful individuals? Now, I haven't been here around, the, I've only been staff for a few weeks now, and I've only been around here for a couple months now, um, but I've, been, I've met both those people, and if you know them, you know you're in the presence of, of mercy, and uh, if I'm not only being honest, but being completely vulnerable with you, because there's a difference between just being honest and vulnerable, vulnerably, mercy is not one of my top spiritual gifts. If you took the, the online spiritual gifts test um, that uh, Pastor Matt told us about freeshapestest.com. There's, there's flyers out in the back if you want to kind of learn more about your spiritual gifting. Mercy was not one of my best. And the problem with uh, having to speak on something that you're not necessarily the best at is you have to learn a lot about it before you get up in front of people and talk about it. Like if, if there was a spiritual gift of being hilarious, I wouldn't have to study a whole lot because I'd just be able to come up here and talk. <laughs> that was not funny. Don't laugh. <laughs> But I decided to dive in to figure out what mercy is. I've heard the term mercy. I know kind of the gist of what mercy is, but I didn't really know exactly what is mercy. And so I went back to the book of Romans, uh, where it was talking about the spiritual gifts. 
and the, the spiritual gift of mercy and uh, the, the Greek word that we've translated into mercy in that, in that verse talking about spiritual, spiritual gifts is this term elias. Everyone say elias. You're learning Greek, you're learning brain stuff, you're, you guys are going to come out, you're smart, aren't you? Elias, the, the definition of Elias, kind of simplified down, is compassion for people in need. Compassion for people in need. That's a pretty simple definition. But the spiritual gift of mercy is not just a noun, it's actually, it should be a verb, it should be taken then into action. So the verb version of Elias is this Greek word, eleo, everyone say eleo. That's a fun one to say. Pastor Matt had a fun time saying that when I was telling him about this. And that is the action of showing mercy, or how, or how my definition of it is compassion in action. That is mercy. Compassion in action. Eleo. And, and before we get too far into what we're going to be talking about, I want to say that there are levels to the spiritual gift of mercy. When you look at the two individuals up on the video, you might be thinking to yourself, there's no way I can get to that kind of level. You know people that are so merciful that go into uh, someone who has a, a health crisis or, or, or struggling financially or are going through mourning the loss of a loved one, and they are just so good at being there for people in need. When we talk about hurting or helping people or ignoring or helping people, they are so good at helping them. And you might be thinking to yourself, there's no way I can do that. As soon as I step foot into a hospital, my knees get wobbly and I feel like I'm going to faint. And it's how can I show someone mercy when they're sick in a hospital when I can't even walk in there myself, right? Or you're someone that when you see someone mourning, you kind of feel uncomfortable and you feel the need to make a joke that really isn't the best joke to make at that time. And, and you might be thinking, there's no way I can live with mercy. But we're all wired for mercy. Remember the anterior insular cortex. We're all wired for mercy in some level. Maybe for you, it's with your kids or your grandkids. To help or hurt them, you're going to choose to help them. Or it's, it's with your coworkers or your classmates or your neighbors. We're all wired on some level to be merciful in some way. And so what we're going to do is we're going to dive into the Bible to kind of get some practical tips, practical tips um, as to what mercy looks like, how we can then apply the spiritual gift of mercy, how we're all wired in some way, how we can apply it to our regular day-to-day Life. And to do that, we're actually going to be in the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can flip to 2 Timothy. If you don't and you'd like one, we have Bibles kind of in the seats all spread out around the, the auditorium. Or if you go to sermons.church and look up Cornerstone Church, you can find all the verses and uh, the, the notes there as well. We'll also have the verses on the screen. And so as you guys are flipping, uh, if you, those of you with the, the physical Bibles, you're flipping to 2 Timothy. I'll kind of set the stage. 2 Timothy is this book. It's actually a letter uh, written by a guy named Paul to his friend Timothy. And Paul had been traveling from city to city, town to town, telling people about Jesus. He had been encouraging pastors, encouraging churches, and encouraging people to follow Jesus and to continue to follow Jesus. The only issue is, is that Paul, as he was doing this, as he was traveling around telling people about Jesus, he was being persecuted, arrested, beaten, and uh, in a situation that would be very easy for him to be discouraged. And this is where we find Paul writing this letter, is in a situation that would be very easy to be discouraged. Um, so we're going to pick up 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, and we will read what Paul is writing to Timothy. This is where it starts. It says, that is why I am suffering as I am. Yet, this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. 
What you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Jesus Christ. Guard the good deposit that it was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So Paul's kind of setting the stage. Kind of like he's, he is being persecuted, arrested. He's, he's, he's living a tough life to, in order to follow Jesus. And we continue on in verse 15. It says, You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he has helped me in Ephesus. And so the person we're going to be studying, we're going to be looking at, we're going to be taking practical advice from is this guy named Onesiphorus. I'm not going to make you say that word because it took me about three weeks to figure out how to actually pronounce the Greek version. Onesiphorus, and you might be thinking, Ryan, he was in two sentences in the Bible. How can we learn what mercy, how do we even know that he shows the spiritual gift of mercy? Well, we can kind of see from his actions that he is being merciful, but we can also take from verse 16 where Paul writes, May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Paul writes, May the Lord show mercy to this guy. And we can assume, we can know that Paul would know the teachings of Jesus because he was traveling around teaching people about Jesus. And he would know that in the book of Matthew, when Jesus was teaching people, when he was still walking this earth, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. So if Paul's saying we need to show Onesiphorus mercy, we then can assume that Onesiphorus is merciful. It's a transitive property for those math people in there. My wife's a math teacher. But it's also we can just learn He's merciful. And so what can we learn from Onesiphorus that we can then apply to our daily lives? So from studying this and kind of studying what mercy is, I've come up with two points, two points. They're not two Pastor Matt points, so it's not going to be too long, but two points. Um, <laughs> if I ever need a laugh, I just need to make a joke about Pastor Matt. I'm learning that. Two points and then what I like to call the secret sauce of mercy, the secret sauce of mercy. And point number one, we can take from Second uh, Timothy 1, verse 17. Verse 17, we see it says, On the contrary, on the contrary of being ashamed of his chains, on the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. And so point number one is mercy requires humility. Humility to see people in need. Mercy requires humility to see people in need. And you might be thinking, Ryan, how is that humble? Where is Onesiphorus showing us humility? Well, my two favorite explanations of all time uh, of what humility is, of what it means to be a humble person, come from two of my favorite authors of all time. One of them is a guy named C.S. Lewis, and he, about humility, says, true humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but it's thinking of ourselves less. And Paul, the same guy that's writing to Timothy, actually in a different one of his letters, in the, to this one to the church of Philippi, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy, rather in humility, value others more highly than yourselves. Each of you not looking out for your own interests, but for the, each of you for the interests of others. Humility is not necessarily this thing of saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not that great. Like we've seen people that, that are humble people that are, like, we think humility, oh, I'm not that great, I'm, I'm all right, I'm, I'm not that funny. <laughs> um, but true humility, true humility is not actually thinking less of ourselves, it's thinking of ourselves less. It's intentionally taking our eyes off of ourselves and searching 
for other people. It's getting that tunnel vision toward our goal, like I was talking about at the beginning, me, 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 and taking that away so that we can then search for anyone who's out there in need, someone who might come across our path, someone who might be in a distance, but we might need to make a part of our path. Humility is intentionally taking our eyes off of ourselves and searching for other people. And we can see Onesiphorus decides to intentionally take his eyes off of himself and his own needs. And Paul writes, he searched hard for him until he found him. Onesiphorus searched hard for Paul. He took his eyes off of himself to then search for Paul. Mercy requires humility to see people in need. Point number two actually comes from uh, verse 16 and 18, and it's kind of a two-part point, uh, two-part point, um, but I wanted to keep it as one point because they kind of go hand in hand, but they're two parts. And it's uh, verse 16 it says, uh, we pick up, it says, he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. And then in verse 18, we pick up, uh, and you know in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. And so we can see that Onesiphorus refreshed Paul, or some translations, and some of the Greek translation can also be revived Paul, to bring back to life, refreshed or revived him. And he also helped him. And so when we see Onesiphorus showing mercy, we also can look back in that book of Romans that we've been kind of using as our main verse for this series that, that I got the Greek word LAS from. And when it talks about mercy, it actually says, if it is mercy, if your gift is mercy, do it cheerfully. And that reminded me of what Onesiphorus must be doing. Because it's, it's pretty hard to refresh someone when you're down in the dumps, Right? It's hard to help someone when you're pouting about having to do it. So we can assume that Onesiphorus is not only helping or refreshing Paul, but he's doing it cheerfully. And when I think of someone helping, showing mercy to someone cheerfully, I think of a time where I got to go to the Dominican Republic on a mission trip with my college basketball team. And what we were doing was, is we would play against their professional teams at night, but during the day, we would host these basketball camps in this village. And it was these outdoor courts, but we'd have kids from towns miles and miles away, all coming to this court to come play basketball and go through this camp. And there was this one little kid that I really connected with. Uh, and I call, and he always wore like a Steph Curry jersey or a Steph Curry shirt. And for those of you who don't know who Steph Curry is, he's a basketball player. Um, and so I always called him Little Curry, Little Curry, uh, because he liked Steph Curry. And he would then call me Big Curry because I like to eat. And um, so little Curry, by the end of the week, I, I, I felt this real connection with him, and I knew that I wasn't going to probably be going back to this village anytime soon at least, so I didn't know if I'd ever see him again, but I wanted to leave him with something more than just a memory of me, and so I decided uh, I was going to give him my shoes, because I had actually Steph Curry Under Armour shoes that I was playing basketball with, and I knew he was a Steph Curry fan, and I also looked at his shoes, and they were just kind of old, beaten up, holes in them, his feet were too big for them, shoes. They were literally, at one of his shoes, his toes were coming out of the front. He couldn't cut too hard uh, on the basketball court because his, his shoe would just break. And so the last day that we're there, we're finishing up, we're giving hugs, taking pictures and all that stuff, saying goodbyes. I get my shoes and I walk over to little Curry and I say, hey, I want to give you these shoes. You can have them. Just have my shoes. And in a moment that I thought I was being merciful, in a moment that I thought I was being super nice and I was going to make this kid's day, I hand him the shoes, and he gives me a look that's kind of confused. He gives me a look that's kind of like confused, but also I don't want to upset him. You know that, that look? And he says to me, I already have shoes. But my friend right over there, and I look over at where he's pointing, and there's a kid running around shooting baskets, and he has no shoes on at all. And he said, my friend right over there doesn't have any shoes 
would you be mad if I give him these shoes? And I was just, I was like, oh, in awe of this little kid's mercy. And I didn't know, I don't even remember what I said. I think I just fumbled around words, but eventually it got to, yes, you can give him shoes. And the smile on this kid's face, on little Curry's face, the kid who's giving up these shoes, and he runs over to his friend, and there's just this joy, this infectious joy for him to give him up shoes, give his friend shoes, give up the shoes that he got. And when I think of cheerful mercy, when I think of what Onesiphorus is doing for Paul to refresh him, I think of the refreshing that little Curry did for his friend, that little Curry did for me, that he did for anyone who was watching. Mercy requires cheerful courage. The second part to that is courage. The second part to that is courage. And uh, we can see that uh, Onesiphorus was not ashamed of his chains, of Paul's chains. You could also say he was not afraid of his chains because Onesiphorus knew that just being seen with Paul, because Paul was known for traveling around telling people about Jesus, getting arrested, persecuted. Onesiphorus knew that just to be seen with Paul had detrimental ramifications for his reputation, for his safety. He could have been thrown in prison just by being seen with him. But the courage that he had was to not only be seen with him, but to then help him in Ephesus, to then refresh him wherever he saw him. It takes courage to show mercy sometimes. Mercy requires cheerful courage to help people in need. So the last part, the secret sauce uh, to mercy we can kind of look at the entire second half of Paul's writing of what, he, what he's talking about. When he talks about the, the province of Asia and Phygelus and Hermogenes, and we pick up there, we can see kind of what the secret sauce is. In 2 Timothy 1.15, we see that Paul writes to Timothy, You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. They deserted Paul. Each and every one of them, we say mercy is compassion and action. Each and every one of them had conditions to their compassion. They have what I like to call conditional compassion. I'll help you if I would feel bad for you, but, you know, I'll be there for you, but. And I don't know about you, but I am so guilty of conditional compassion. When I say I struggle with mercy, I think this is one of the main reasons I, th- I say things like, you know, I would, I would feel bad for you losing your job, but I see what you do on social media every night, and I see what you're doing, and I know you show up late to work, so you kind of asked for it. I don't really feel bad for you. Or I would bring you a meal because I know your family's struggling, but uh, if you post about it and people see that I'm with you, I don't really know what that's going to do to my reputation. Or if, I, if, if you call me and I don't answer and I'm I, I, I going to pick up the phone or I, I just hit the, the button on the side and kind of send it to voicemail, because I just don't have the energy. Can I tell you that sometimes the, the most effective form of mercy that we can show someone is to pick up the phone? Sometimes the only thing someone is in need of is an ear to talk to. But yet so often me, personally, I have this conditional compassion because I think I would answer the phone, but then they're going to ask me for this, or then I'm going to have to do this, or I just don't have the energy for that. I put conditions to my compassion, and we see that that's what the province of Asia, the people in the province of Asia, that's what Hermogenes and Phygelus do. But we see Onesiphorus doesn't, and that's the secret sauce. The most, the most Christ-like form of mercy is unconditional. The secret sauce to mercy is that it is unconditional compassion and action. It's unconditional. 
And before we dive too much into what unconditional compassion looks like, I want to say this first. There's a difference between mercy as unconditional compassion in action, but saying no to someone's requests and conditional compassion. There's a difference between conditional compassion and mercy. Sometimes uh, the most effective thing you can do for someone is to say no to their request and give them something else instead. There needs to be no conditions to our compassion, but there needs to be discernment toward our action, what we are to do. Does that make sense? Because I didn't want you to think that mercy is just saying, yeah, whenever someone asks me to do something or whenever someone, we, talk, we heard in the video, she said, sometimes I can feel like I'm being taken advantage of because I just say yes, yes, yes. Mercy isn't just saying yes to everything when someone's in need. Mercy is, yes, always having compassion, but having discernment toward what does that action actually look like. That means you, me, the church, people... To live out a merciful life doesn't mean we have to say yes to everything. I just wanted to put that out there because it was easy for me to think as I was studying and kind of learning more that I just had to say yes to everything. And that's not necessarily what I'm saying. But I am saying is that our compassion can be unconditional. And sometimes that means that our compassion can be uncomfortable. Sometimes it can be uncomfortable. Sometimes it can be undeserving. Have you ever had compassion or shown mercy to someone who really, you know, didn't deserve it? Sometimes compassion can be undeserving, unconditional. Sometimes it can be unpopular. I don't think uh, Onesiphorus was probably going to be the most popular guy in his village by hanging out with a guy who was in prison. But sometimes mercy is unpopular compassion in action. Mercy is unconditional compassion in action. That's the secret sauce. And so to recap kind of what we've been talking about uh, and uh, the worship team, you guys can come on and head on up uh, to recap what we've been talking about. Uh, we're all wired for mercy in some way. It's in our brain. It's also, it should, if we're following Jesus, it's in our hearts. We're all wired to be merciful in some way, shape, or form. And there's different levels to it, and that's okay. If you are wired for mercy, if you are someone that's like that, it's not easy to do, but it's, it comes easier to me, man, go full tilt, as Pastor Matt would say. Go all in, because we are in a world that is in need of merciful people. And if it's not your gift, not your gifting, you're not very strong in mercy, you are wired for it in some way, but just take a step. How can I be just a little bit more merciful and then try to just keep getting better because our world, your world, your circle, your home, your family, your work, your school, your community needs merciful people. And so before we get uh, into the song, and if you want to play, you can play. Um, I wanted to recognize that there's probably someone in the room that's saying, Ryan, I would love to be more merciful. Like, I, yeah, of course, I would love to show people mercy. But if I'm being honest, I have struggles of my own. I have burdens of my own that I'm trying to carry, and I can't show someone else mercy. I can't help someone with their struggles when I'm overwhelmed with my own. And to that, I just say, I see you and I'm sorry because it's real. It's hard to help someone with their burdens when you're trying to carry your own and make it through with your own. That's real and that's valid. But I'll also add that Jesus actually says when he's teaching and he's walking on this earth, he says, my burden is light or my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, one of his closest friends, uh, writes to us and he says, cast all of your anxieties onto him because he cares about you. Cast all of your burdens onto him because he cares about you. What if we started taking the burdens that we had and just giving it to him? Not that he would necessarily always give us a way out of those struggles or out of those burdens and get us out of those, 
but he will for sure every time give us hope through those struggles, through those burdens. And what if we did that? We started casting our burdens onto him so that we not only could live freely, but then we could go help others with theirs. We could show mercy to them. And also Jesus not only is there for us right now, but Jesus performed the greatest act of mercy of all time. He came down to earth from a throne in heaven as a humble baby, born in a manger, walked this earth, lived a perfect life, showing us exactly how we should go about trying to strive to live our lives, worked miracles, walked on water, healed people, and was wrongfully arrested and put to death. And as he was going through the process of being arrested and being hung up on a cross, there is no doubt in my mind that he could have tried to defend himself. He could have ran away. As he's hanging up on the cross, he could have got down. He'd done crazier miracles throughout his life. But he hung up there on the cross with nails through his wrists and his feet, suffocating on his own blood, knowing that the end of his life right there was the beginning of our eternity. And so in the greatest act of mercy of all time, Jesus bore the weight of our sins on the cross so that we can have eternal life, eternal hope, eternal purpose, eternal love. And he rose from the grave three days later so that we could have all of that in the greatest act of mercy of all time. What if we let that moment, the greatest act of mercy of all time, fuel our hearts so that we could go out into our world, into our communities, into our circles, and be more merciful? What if when we left here today, there was a flood of mercy that just took over our communities, that took over our workplaces, that took over our schools, that took over our homes, our own hearts? How different would our world look if every one of us flooded into our world? Motivated and fueled by the mercy of Jesus to be more merciful to the people around us. How amazing would that look? Well, we pray that you enjoyed the message today. We pray that it was challenging and that the Spirit has stirred something new in you today. Have a blessed week.